Some people earn a living by writing books, and some of you have bought a book, and when you see the book, a lot of times it has a dust cover on it. If you look on the dust cover, somewhere on the book, a lot of times it'll have little blurbs of other people saying what a great person you're about to read, how smart they are, how much they enjoy them. And, you know, and they got these names like it's like, you know, it's, it's a recommendation from Colin Powell, you know, or, or Bill Clinton or, you know, some celebrity or some athlete. And they go, how do they know all these people? But it kind of gives credibility to them. You go, man, this must be important. I was thinking, if you know, if I could write a book, who would I, who could I ask, you know, to to write stuff on there? I couldn't, I couldn't think of anybody. I, I honestly thought, my mom, my mom would do it. <laughs> and, and she probably put, Tom is an, a good boy. Tom's mom. I don't know what credibility I would have in terms of, you know, having somebody speak for me, say that, hey, pay attention to this guy. This person's. You know, got authority. That's a common problem that people have. And, and, and what it really comes down to is like, well, who have you impressed? You know, who, who of substance who has watched your life? And they, they would say, oh, yeah, yeah, that person has got something worth saying. That person is worth listening to. How do you gauge credibility? And, and obviously, I mean, if this is really true, if, if what we're doing here is not playing games, if there's a real God, and I believe there is, if there is a God who created us, God who is a real person who controls the universe, who determines my eternal destiny. And if that God has said, I have a message for you about how you were created, who you are, where to go, what direction to go, I'd like to know what he has to say. That's part of what we do around here. Is there a way to be restored with him? Is there a way to be what he created me to be? And it raises the question, well, who do you listen to who represents him accurately? How do you know who represents him? Frankly, when you came in the doors today, how do you know? That what we're going to say today has any truth to it or credibility to it. Well, those who have represented God have had to deal with that. And the Apostle Paul had to deal with that a lot with these, this kind of uh, ragamuffin group in, in the city of Corinth. And we've been looking at his, last, his letter to them, his second one. And if you have a Bible, I invite you to look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 today. And he's dealing with the fact that um, he's... We, we've seen this, that these people have raised up and they've questioned a whole lot about this guy. Go, wait, wait, he does not fit the mold. He is not impressing us. He's not eloquent. He's not, he's not got the, the qualities that in our culture we feel like says, somebody's got something to say. He's, he's not full of power. He's not full of authority. He's not even well that, that well-spoken. And he, he's kind of a wimp at times. And he always changes his mind all the time. How can this guy represent God? And so a big part of what Paul has done in, in, in this letter is establish his credibility, but in doing so, he's going to answer some questions for us about, well, who do we listen to and who do we pay attention to? So, we get to chapter 3 of of this uh, study we've been going through. And the first six verses, you're going to see something. Paul's going to establish three different ways that people can say that they're worth paying attention to or that they have credibility. Three different... uh, kind of processes or criteria that you can use and in doing so he's going to reveal to us which one you should you should pay attention to i should pay attention to so let me just read for you if you got it you can follow along in second corinthians 3 he says are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need like some people letters of recommendation to you or from you you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts known and read by everybody you show that you are a letter from christ the result of our ministry written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. 
Not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, because the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, the context here. Let me let me just point out one one of the first things you're going to see phrases that he uses in there. He talks about letters. We have let some some are asking for letters, letters of recommendation. So the first way that somebody's credibility can be established that they speak for God or in any way is you could say it's a it's a letter of ink and paper. So so you see references in verse three. He says he talks about letters of recommendation. It's actually physically written letters. He mentions in verse 3, yeah, the contrast is that it's not with ink. He's referring to a way that people communicated, ink and paper. So in this day, the way people would travel, you know, they didn't have the internet, they didn't have telephones, they didn't have a whole lot of way of communication. So if someone came from Jerusalem, which was a center, a hub of, of Judaism, and of, then, of course, of Christianity, sometimes they would bring le- traveling, they would call traveling letters with them. Where they would stop and say, I have been here and people you know, people who you trust, will cre- will, they'll tell you, know, they, they credential me. They carry those with them. Paul, Paul did it. He sent letters uh, to explain to people that Phoebe was okay. He did it with Timothy. The whole book of Philemon is actually a, a traveling letter that he gives to a runaway slave sending him back and says, I want you to know something about this guy. He's repentant. All right? when you, here, it's a traveling letter. Would you, he's got my seal of approval on him. That's a letter of recommendation. Now, often, um, these letters, the problem with them is they could be easily forged. I mean, it didn't take a lot. Somebody could write a letter, sign somebody's name. It's not like they had a handwriting analysis to figure out who it came from. Not way to track it to see where it came. So, so often they were forged. And it was understood that there were some false teachers who had gone into Corinth and claimed that they came from Jerusalem to say, that Paul, don't listen to Paul. And they had forged some letters that said that they were sent from the, the church, the hub of the apostles in Jerusalem. So there's an innate risk with this way that, that there's a real good chance of inauthenticity uh, happening. We have the same thing in our culture too. That's why we have things like Angie, Angie's List, Better Business Bureau. We've got means by which we can say, who you've you got to spend your money in the marketplace. What do you spend it on? So we've got these references and ways that, uh, that people can say, okay, these are good. So this is why sometimes if you get on a service call and you get done with it, the person on the other side says, hey, before I let you, can I ask you a question? If you were asked... Were you, did you get satisfactory service today? Do you think you could give us five stars? You ever have that happen? Uh, how many? Uh, five out of how many? Um, I, I guess. So you would say you give five stars. I'm thinking, are we in kindergarten? You got like a little gold things? But it makes a difference. In the internet, when people are looking for places that, that they might want to stay at a hotel... There, there can be a up to 25% market difference between one star that they're given from people who stay there. If they are a four-star hotel versus a three-star hotel. So people are always trying to get more stars. If you buy something on eBay, give good feedback, right? I want a high percentage so people will say I'm, I'm trustworthy. Places like Yelp.com or, or TripAdvisor where people give feedback. And recently came out that this hotel in Glasgow, Scotland, the, I think it was the uh, Ramada Hotel. There it is. Turns out that they, all of a sudden they had a bump in their stars. 
And they had people saying things, that were like positive uh, comments, like best crew ever, finest hotel, uh, airport hotel that I've been to. And then it comes out that there's a guy named Frank Long, who's the manager of the hotel. And he basically sent an email to all the employees. And this is what he said. We could do with some positive comments. Don't tell anybody. Don't go overboard. Don't make it look like it's you. But he started to give some feedback for his staff and they suddenly postings came out about what a great hotel was giving it all the high high stars he 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 vowed that he would he would deny everything if if any part of it came out and so the stars went up people got wind of it and TripAdvisor contacted this hotel and said you're not allowed to be on our on our site anymore because see there's an innate problem with having letters of recommendation be the source by which you establish who you are. You saw it in the video when we came in today. When, when Paul mentions this, he, it represents something to him. He says, look, look again at, at verse uh, 1. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Now, by the way, there's a phrase that gets used in the original here that I just want to point out to you. Because Paul spends a whole lot of the time commending himself. He's defending himself. But there's a, f- a flip of the words that get used in the original which change it. And the best I can do to explain it to you is that, that he says... Yes, we're not going to do self-commendation. But we will do defending ourselves. And that's the difference he's saying here. He says, so are we tooting our own horn? Or then he says, or do we need like some people? And he's referencing the people who are probably in Corinth reading this, the false teachers. And the people who demanded, why doesn't Paul have these letters to establish who he is? Do we need, like some of them, letters of recommendation to you or from you? So he, so he establishes, here's a way people can establish credibility of speaking for God. They get, well, they impress people. It's impressive credentials. People talk about where they've been and what they've done and who they know. You know, you ever seen, you ever been around people who drop, name drop? There's some people, have you had this happen? Maybe it's some of us in the room. Five minutes into a conversation with a new person you find out about some famous person they hung out with. And you find out about the, all these places they've been. You find out what their degrees are. You find out what, what their accomplishments are. And you go, I don't care. But somehow it just comes up. They meet somebody else and the same thing happens. It just, oh, it comes up in conversation. Really? Yeah, oh, they just happen to hang out with that person. They've been there. They've done that. Just about every place you've been. Oh, they've been there five times. They're impressive. They talk about where they've gone. People, there are people who lead with their resumes. And behind that is a kind of a sense that says, well, you should grant credibility to this person. You should grant value to them. You should be impressed with this person. And then the Bible jumps in and says, okay, hey, humans, here's, here's the way God does stuff. Don't try to impress people. Because actually... God knows your secret. And anybody who is insightful probably knows it too. That that doesn't add up to a hot pile and steaming pile of stuff. It doesn't. It doesn't mean anything on the externals. It doesn't accomplish anything. So the Bible says, don't speak your own praises. Don't let your own lips do it. Let others do that. Don't puff yourself up. See, there's a problem with People trying to establish credibility by, by reading the resume to you. First of all, they can fake it. 
And secondly, what it does is it represents the surface and the externals of their life. And God's made something very, very clear. The externals of life have no bearing on the internals of what counts to God. That's why when the, the, the people Jesus had the worst trouble with were the Pharisees. I mean, they were good people, religious people, but they were always walking around counting how many phylacteries they had on them and talking about where they've been and sitting in the seats of honor. And when Jesus, when Jesus gets angry, the people he gets angry at are mostly the Pharisees. And he says things like this in Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Here's what you do. You clean the outside of the cup and dish. You know what that means? You're presenting something as if, oh, look, look at the externals. Look what I can do. Look where I've been. You clean all that up. But inside, they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Then he's using another word picture. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside. But on the inside, they're, they're full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. God says, don't look on the externals. Don't be impressed. Don't give a person a, a seat of... of influencing your life just because they quote to you how important they are or what they've accomplished or 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 who they know or where they've been i had to i had to get a procedure done here a few weeks ago it's called a colonoscopy you know what there is just nothing dignified about any part of the procedure before it, what you have to do to get ready, and during it, and after it. It's just not right. It's just not natural. Well, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to gross you out today, okay? I'll do that. I like doing that, but not today. But here's, here's one thing that happened in there. I'd never, not even met the guy who was going to do the procedure. I got through all the process, and I go, and I put on that gown where, I don't know where they make the material for that thing, but... It is like, I'm, I'm thinking that they have cameras set up to escape. Okay, watch, he's going to put the gown on. Watch the parts you can't cover. You're trying to get this and it opens. It's just all, you know, and so I'm in the gown and they, and they wheel me in. And the guy who's going to do the procedure is at the computer. And they wheel me in. They go, okay, we're going to hook you up and, and, you know, start to put you out. I said, wait, 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 before you do that, can I just say hello? And the guy goes, oh, hello, I'm Dr. So-and-so. And he gives me his name. And I don't. Now, see, some of you know, I, I'm not, part of, partly because of this, I'm not into titles. I, I'd rather you just call me Tom, honestly, if I have a title, honestly. And he goes, I'm Dr. So-and-so. And I said, hi, what's your first name? And he looked at me like, stalker? <laughs> you know, does he even have a first name? Does he even exist outside these walls? I don't know, you know. And, I, I, and he said, my first name? I said, yeah, what's your first name? He said, Greg. I said, hi, Greg. Nice to meet you. Are, are you good at what you do? <laughs> he goes, I've been doing it a long time. And I said, well, Greg, I'm about, to I'm, I'm, I'm about to let you do something to me that no other human being in the world gets the privilege of doing. Don't you feel like maybe you should take me to dinner first? Because, see, in a, in a moment like that, I don't care what all the degrees are after his name. I don't care what his title is. I want to know, can you do this? Are you, are you good at this? And it doesn't come from your resume. 
It doesn't come just because you've been places. And frankly, when we do that, and we talk about where we've been and what we've done, it kind of smacks of insecurity, doesn't it? When somebody tells you what they've done and they're quick to say what their accomplishments are. See, think about this. People who really know God, they've walked with God, they've experienced God. People who, who know God on an intimate level, people who, pro- who have the kind of authority to represent God tend to be people who turn less attention on their abilities and accomplishments rather than more. People like that, you're surprised to find out where they've been and what they've done. We were on a trip to the West Coast and we were with a dear friend whose husband died. She remarried a, another dear guy. Uh, they're both retirement age now. His wife had died. And, we're in the, and we'd spent time with them. And only in the course of conversation, only after pursuing it, did we find out that this guy had been a captain in the, in the, fire, of the fire department in Los Angeles County. And we asked him about his family, and it turns out that his father had been a script writer. And we asked him, he had bound volumes where his dad had written scripts for Gilligan's Island and Leave it to Beaver and other things. That, and, and he had original scripts he wrote for Abbott and Costello. They showed us this thing. There were handwritten notes from some of these people in this bound copy. And I looked at him and I said, why didn't you tell us that? I wanted to say that. But see, this is a guy whose life is about Jesus. It just doesn't come up. It doesn't need to. His accomplishments don't matter to him in that way. He just wants to know God. So Paul says, all right, look, you're going to have people send signals to you that says, here's who you should pay attention to. The people with the impressive credentials, the people with lots of letters, lots of stuff on their dust cover. Yeah, you know what? He says, we don't need that. We don't need that, nor do we need the second source that he talks about. And this one could be summarized. It's an inscription on stone tablets. You see in verse 3, says, you should know that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, You're not written not with ink, that's the first one, but with the Spirit of the living God. And then he says, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. In verse 6, he'll go on to say, he references that we, we represent a new covenant, not of the letter. And when he uses that word, not of the letter, everybody who's from the Jewish community knew what that meant. The letter of the law. The stone, uh, the, the inscriptions in stone represented, and that the phrase was used to describe the Old Testament Mosaic law. It was a religious institution and the practices of religion that have stood for God. This is, it's used all over the, in the Old Testament, same phrase, but here's Exodus 24, 12, just as a sample. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here. This is the giving of the Ten Commandments, and the, and the, but beyond it, the law. But he inscribed the Ten on the, on the tablets. He says, come up to the mountain and stay here and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commands I have written for their instruction. The hearer knew what, that, what he, Paul's talking about. He says, now there are going to be some people who say, here's where the credibility comes from. It's, it's, they they got to see that you represent the tablets of stone. That you comply with that. That there's a religious system that you're part of. The, the Judaizers had come in from Jerusalem and other places into Corinth and they had said to these this little fledgling group of followers, you guys, you can't fo- claim to follow the true God unless you're doing all the law stuff too. Sacrificial system, all that stuff. Paul's going to say, no, no, the law's been fulfilled its purpose. The law had a purpose. It was to expose our inadequacies. It was to 
get as a, an instrument of faith to say I need a sacrifice, a permanent one, and then Jesus is going to come, die on the cross, give the pe- final eternal sacrifice, and the law will be complete. And these guys said, no, 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 you've got to keep the rules. This is what, and this is what it represents. It represents, it says, authority comes from being rules keepers. People who, who work the system, people who stay in it, people who, who comply with the uh, religious practices that establish that you know what you're talking about. So a whole lot of this had to do with, with one of three things. Knowledge, ritual, or morals. A knowledge of what God has said equals authority. That, that if you follow the rituals that were given... Regardless of why they were given, even if you don't understand why they were given, you just follow the rituals, that's what gives you a platform. And you stay within the moral boundaries that were established. Now, God does not just say, yeah, forget all the morals. The, the law of love says, I will reflect the character of God in my choices. But Paul says, you got people telling you that unless we're following all these religious rules, you shouldn't pay attention to us. A whole lot around here, I don't use the word religion. Most, most of us around here don't use the word religion. When people say, are you religious? I, I kind of cringe. Because I know what they mean. It, they tend to mean, well, you know, not just do you believe in God. Some that's what they all mean. But, some, but is, you know, so you, you kind of entrusted yourself to a system and the system is re- the requirement and you get in good with God by keeping the system. And I, I bristle when I hear that. We talk about the difference between religion and relationship here. It can become buzzwords, but it's really, really an important distinction. What this represents is, is those who fall into that category and say, well, no, you know what? Listen to the people who are really, really well studied. The people who are really, really, uh, you know, part of it. They, 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 they present a, a really, they have kept the rules. They have some authority. There's, there's a, a problem with that. You start to define yourself in religion by what you don't do. I mean, a whole lot of us have been in environments where, and you see this in culture. Well, you're a Christian. Oh, I know what that means. Here's a list of things you don't do. Most of them are kind of fun. But you don't do those because you're religious. And we tend to define ourselves by, okay, yes, I've signed up. I'm in. Now, Now what do I not do? How do, I, how do I curtail all my impulses? Either that or it's defined by what we know. We need to get good at studying the book, good at get, making sure we've got our theology straight, being able to defend it and argue it and set it in, in order. And that's who Jesus dealt with, with the keepers of the law. But there's a flaw with that, isn't there? And you know this. You've seen it. Some of us have lived it. And that is you can exercise your brain about biblical stuff. You can exercise your, your, your mind and you can have a whole lot of knowledge and you can have that, you can do that without engaging your soul at all. You can put your body in places where the body complies with the rules, but you can do that without your spirit having any effect happen on it. See, the purpose of the law we're going to get into this because next time Paul's going to explain it a little bit more. The purpose of the law was to expose something. 
is to expose you can't get make your way. You can't repair yourself. You can't make yourself pleasing to God. You need help. The law is there just to pr- turn the spotlight on that. You try your best and you will fail. When you're in deep weeds, what do you do? That's when you engage your soul out of desperation. That's when you can accept a gift. The gift of forgiveness that's provided for you. You can be compliant and still be rebellious. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 15. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. The Bible has a real important caution about, about identifying ourselves and thinking that we got it together because we've really, really learned our stuff and we got the knowledge base down to this. I go to all the classes. I've learned all the theology. I can argue this stuff. I'm good at this. And this is what he says about that knowledge in 1 Corinthians 8. We know that we all possess knowledge. Here's what knowledge does. Knowledge puffs up. You know that, don't you? Knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. Some of the most theologically brilliant and trained minds and people I know have been people who, in my experience, have been the most unlike Christ. Religion tends to do something. It produces pride. The more you comply, the better you feel about yourself. The more you can judge other people. The more you know, the more you feel superior. And Paul says, look, this whole thing, this whole religious system that's represented on, yes, you present the tablets written in stone. You say, yes, I'm part of the system. That whole thing, it does not give credibility. So what does give him credibility? Let me just ask you this way. How would you know that God works around here? How would you know? How do you know that he's at work in in your life? How do you know that the people who are pouring into you are people who actually are accurately representing the true God? Here's the distinction that Paul makes. We're going to summarize it by by saying that it is written on the heart by the Spirit. Look at verse 2. So he's comparing it, contrasting it with letters of recommendation. And he says, okay, you want, you want references? All right, you want credibility? Here's what we got. You yourselves. You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry. It's not written with ink, but with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God. It's not written on tablets of stone, not religious practice. It's on tablets of human hearts. The real evidence that God is transforming somebody, that God is doing something in people's lives. He says, no, don't don't look at texts. Don't look at history. Don't look at plaques and credentials. Look at lives. Look at living displays of inside-out transformation. When Peter wrote, he said, he said, you know what, you are, you're, you're, a, you're living proof of the impact of Jesus. You're evidence that he's alive, but you're a living display. Exhibit one is a living, breathing thing. It's you. 
Look for those things. And look how they're written. It says first, he goes, this, this, this inscription, this letter of recommendation, it's written on Paul's heart first. You see that? He says, you're a letter written on our hearts. So there's something, there's a soul connection that's happened from the people who've been changed by Jesus onto the person who's leading them. He says, the evidence I've got that I know God's working is because the connection and impact you've made on me shows me that. Something's different about you. There's something in my soul that connects with your soul. It's written on my heart. And then next, the imprint of Christ is made on the Corinthians' hearts. You, it says that, that you're the letter, that you, you, are, uh, you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. They've been changed from the inside out. He says, you want credentials? You're asking me whether I, whether I have, I'm trustworthy. Here's my evidence. Are you different? You who are challenging me, are, would you say you're different? Because if I haven't carried God, then you're not different. But if you're different, what does that say? If you've been changed, then, I, then that says that I'm authentic. And what he's looking for is the character, the heart of Jesus Christ, the evidence of the Spirit of God in their life. What is that evidence? Well, the fruit of the Spirit shows up. There's love and joy and peace, patience, kindness. When the Bible talks about it, it talks about the evidence is that God, he produces a broken spirit on those on whom he's working. A broken and contrite heart. Look for that in somebody. When you see that show up in somebody, that they're different, there's something, they've released their own demand to prove themselves. They found their identity in something besides themselves. They're humbled. They're submitted. Look for people who, who are dying to themselves. Look for the people whose values are changed because what they want to do is they just want to please the one who purchased their soul. This, is, this has been the message all along. In the Old Testament, it said, here's, here's uh, Jeremiah 31. God says, look, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And, he, and you notice he talks about covenants, a new covenant in, in verse 6. He says, we're, we're instruments of the new covenant. God talks about this new covenant. The old covenant was the one that was given through Moses. And then he says, I'm going to give a new covenant. Verse 30, uh, 33 of Jeremiah 31. This is a covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it in their hearts. I'm going to change them from the inside out. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. I will give them an undivided heart. Put a new spirit in them. I will move from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. You know what salvation does? Salvation is not just get out of hell. It does, it, you do. But salvation changes a person from the heart core of themselves, from the inside out. It gives them a new life. It gives them a new purpose for living, a new identity. It doesn't mean they stop sinning, but it means the orientation of their heart evidences and begins to look more and more like somebody else. What comes out of them starts to look familiar. You go, wait a minute. Who else, do I, who else have I seen who treats people that way? Who else have I seen that has those values? It's the man from Galilee. That's who it was. It's the people who follow him. 
some of you know what this is like that you you can get it now you're not supposed to judge people's hearts you're not but sometimes can't you just tell when you're around a group of people you might meet people from the same at the same group of people at the same time but there's certain people by the way they talk by the way they look by the way they interact you can say there's something coming from your heart that's different how many times have you perhaps said i have a feeling that person is a follower of jesus not always right, but you know what? A whole lot of time it is because it starts to come out of them from the inside out. That's what salvation does. Look, here are the implications, some of the implications of this. Paul's contrasting these things. He says, you are the evidence. One of the implications we need to understand, and it's vivid this week, you can look good on paper, but you can be untouched at your core. Can I put it this way? You can take vows as a naturalized citizen of this country and then turn and be capable of taking innocent life. You can go through some motions in the outside. You can be getting good grades. You could be popular in the crowd you're in and there could be something that's completely unchanged or even darkening in your soul. It can happen. The implications are that you, you can submerge yourself in a system you, you can be there every day, every time the doors are open, every time there's a course offered, every time you can stand and raise your hands and worship, you can go through some motions and never penetrate your heart, your will, the center of who you are that surrenders and says, I'm done. My life is no longer mine. I entrust it to somebody else. My heart is broken and conquested by Jesus. You can submerge yourself in knowledge. You can know theology and the Bible. You can quote it at a moment's notice. You can say that you've got it figured out and it can all be carried around in your mind and it can never reach the state of your soul. The way to measure God's involvement is not by counting number of noses that show up in a place. It's not by saying... Oh, look at the facilities they put together there. Look at the programs they've got going. And look at the impressive stuff that's done. Oh, listen to how articulate that person is when they talk about God. That's not the way to measure God's involvement. The way you measure it is you look at their heart. Paul says, you are our letter. Can I tell you something that happens to me? And it just happened again recently when I, when I go out of town. And it gives me perspective and it makes me grateful. Because our family traveled a few weeks back, like I mentioned. And invariably you start talking about what you're doing, what's going on in your life. And people ask about our church because that's, you know, what I do. And I have this habit now that if people say, one of the first questions that people tend to ask is, so what are you running there now? What are you running? And my answer is, a marathon. When they ask what's going on here, this is just what tends to happen. I visually picture people's faces. I picture you. And I talk about things that have been happening in people's lives. I start thinking about people who are a different person now than they were three years ago. I talk about... 
I, I mentioned students who go to our schools and while the, the, the rest of the world is using certain kinds of ways of communicating and certain kinds of priorities, I talk about what I've heard about some of our students who are looking a little different, who are living a little bit with a, with a different direction in their life. And I point to you. I, talk, I, I think about marriages that were struggling that people have then just humbled themselves and moved toward it and worked toward restoration even when it's so difficult. I talk about people who've made decisions differently than they used to make decisions. They're not making it based on their own desires or, their, or how much money they'll make anymore. They're, they're thinking about the kingdom of God and they're changing their lives on the basis of that. And you know what? When that happens, I get it just a little bit more. Because as somebody who has the honor and the privilege of leading a group of people who by our own admission are stumbling along and struggling and failing more than we succeed, as a person who leads that group, there's a part of me that just says, when, I want it, when people want to ask what God, what, how I know that God's at work, you're my letter. You're written on my heart. I get passionate about it. I get proud of the people I get to be a part of. You're the evidence. Honest people. People who are open. People who are confessing their struggles. People who are struggling together. People who are rallying around each other. I could tell you story after story from my own cell group. I could tell you stories that I hear around here. You could tell them too. Things are different here. People when they serve each other and they love each other and they challenge each other and they're honest with each other and they struggle together. The evidence of the heart of the Spirit of God is at work in them. It's in work in you. You're the letter. Paul says the repeated theme. His confidence doesn't come from what he's done. He says, you're the result of our ministry. Just look at verse 4. Well, verse 3 says, you're, the, you're our letter, the result of our ministry. And then he says in verse 4, such confidence as this, it's, it's ours through Christ before God. Not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. Our competence comes from God. The repeated theme, it is not self-produced. He says, it's only through this, it's a conduit of a weakened vessel and somehow the power of God shows up in the midst of them just because we keep bringing Jesus up. And you'll hear it again over and over again here. You'll hear it from Paul. It comes down to two things. It's all about your heart and it's all about Jesus. That's it. It is not about how slick we look or what we produce or how good I am at what we do or how cool the band is it is all about your heart it is all about jesus the confidence that we have does not come from ourselves we're just a conduit it comes from christ it comes through submitted surrendered entrusted hearts placing our will in the hands of jesus christ and saying what you just saying where you lead me i'll follow there's a uh, tree in in uh in indiana not far from where uh, james dean is buried and they say that james dean uh, marked his initials in that tree because because uh, he when he was a kid and people flocked to the tree and now that you can hardly tell and there's like little people don't know it or not but they say that the, that those initials are james Dean's. it's grown and now it's higher but people come around and say You think that was him? Think it was from him? I don't know. But here's what I do know. When you look around here, I see the initials. It's not JD, it's JC. 
I see initials carved in people's hearts. I see a mark that there's been an encounter happened. That Jesus Christ has moved sometimes in painful ways, sometimes in ways that ached and hurt, but he has carved his name, his identity in the heart of a person. And I see that carving. For, from now till the end of eternity, that carving is there on your heart. Paul says, look for that. That's the mark that God is at work. That's the credential that he is at, he's using us. He inscribes it by his spirit. He credentials your heart. You know what I want to encourage you to do this week? Do this in our cell groups? Do it before you leave today. Would be, look, you know what? Would you just look across a room somewhere? Just glance across the room. You might see some people you recognize. Maybe you see people you don't know yet. It'd be good to know, meet them. But maybe you see somebody, and as you just glance across the room, you see somebody, you say, you know what? When I see them, I have seen the credential. I have seen the, heart, the mark of Jesus in their life in some way. I've seen something they said or did or the way they endured. They've encouraged or they've just in their demeanor, but there's been the mark of Jesus. Would you go to that person? And would you tell them, you're a living letter. You're the one who's been touched and marked by Jesus Christ. And that is what marks that God is at work right here in this place. And work in you. Let's pray. There's something in our souls, Lord, that wants to impress each other. We want people to think highly of us. We want to think we have credibility. And this is a reminder that, um, that the real evidence of you being at work has nothing to do with these lights being on. It doesn't have to do with the skills of the people who are doing what they're doing. It's just whether an encounter has happened. Lord, there... there I'm going to guess that there are somebody, there may be a lot of somebodies in this room who have not yet had the encounter. They've heard about you. They know your name. They even say they believe the facts about you. But, they're, but yet they have yet to take the step where face to face with you in their heart they have said, I repent of my sin. I'm lost without you. And I'm inviting you to enact on my soul that which gives me life because of your payment for my sin on the cross. God, for that, for that person right now, I want to ask, genuinely ask that even where they sit right now, today and right now would be that moment, that encounter, where they could just say, it's time. I declare that I need him. And they ask you to move on their heart. Make that happen. And then, God, I pray for, for us as a body of people and us as individuals too that the evidence that you have touched us would show. That we'd be able to recognize it in each other and we'd recognize it in ourselves. We'd fan it into flame. And we would praise you and say, all the glory goes to you. But we're your letter. We're the letter that says that you are real and true and that you change lives because you've done it in us. Thank you for so... Thank you for that I get to be a part of leading a group of people where that happens so often. Make it happen all the more. And we praise you for doing that. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.